Welcome to Crowding the Garage. I'm Corey Cope. I'm Freddie Wolf. Hey, we're back with a movie episode, finally. Yay. What? Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Movie Seems episode. like it's been forever. It has been forever. What was the last one we covered? Uh, was it um, uh, Strange Unhinged? Bre- Strange Brew. <laughs> oh, right. Strange Brew. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. Today we have uh, Josie and the Pussycats. I know a lot of people out there love this movie. I love this movie. And it's, boy, like we talked about briefly is before we started um, before the recording was it definitely is for a 2002 movie shows it's 2002, but I uh, started 2001, but, it, but it, it's probably the cream of the crop. Those movies that came out at the time. It's better than Scooby-Doo. I'll give it that for sure. Oh man. The original Scooby-Doo script was so good. I mean, I like, mm, I like, I guess it? it's, it's, here's the thing. I know the Scooby-Doo movies cause I got a kid, so they work for yeah. me because I, for different reasons. Uh, anyway, anyway, it came so, out before your kid was born. Who are you fooling? No, but I'm saying I didn't own them until then, and he got into them, so we watched ah, them. Yeah, yeah. This is better than Scooby Doo. I'm going. I'm gonna. I'm just going right there. Well, yeah, I would hope so. Anyway, <laughs> it's uh, written and directed by uh, Harry Elephant and Deborah Kaplan, who before this had the directorial debut with Can't Hardly Wait, and uh, they had written the Very Brady sequel. Mm-hmm. And after this, they did Leap Year. They wrote, no, they only wrote Leap Year, but they're a really funny comedy team as far as the writing goes. And they got some of the, they have some TV going on now, have been for like the last 15 years. So they're super funny. And what's, what's interesting about the movie as a whole is out of all the movies that came out at the time, it was always like, you know, people were just remaking, you know, Taming of the Shrew and things like that to fit into that teenage romantic comedy mold. This wasn't that. This is kind of, um, I don't know. It's just, it's just a. No, oh, it's just kind of its own thing. I mean, yeah, it's funny yeah. because it uh, it's what's really hilarious. I feel like it predates the iPod by like a year right. or two. Right. <laughs> because, uh, right? Because uh, all that shit that, that could have been much simpler if you were forcing people to download music. Yeah. Think exactly. about that. What is 2004 <laughs> version of this movie? Yeah. It would be a little bit different. Yeah. Casting was interesting. I mean, now I'm used to it because I've been watching this silly ass thing for 20 years. Rachel Lee Cook, who's just a couple years after she did, she's all that. What was funny was she was cast as Josie, but she's like very confused about why. I mean, there were so many other people that were up for it that were fit the mold for that character. But as it turned out, Harry and Deborah actually had her in auditioning and she got through late callbacks to play the Jennifer Love Hewitt character and can't hardly wait. So she actually got right to the end or so they remembered her from that. So she didn't do very much as far as auditioning for this. She just kind of fit the role. She's like, hey, you know, I don't, I, I don't play guitar and I don't sing. Doesn't matter because it, did, it didn't matter because she's got the songs aren't good. Well, I, I think the songs are pretty great, but that's, that's okay. It's, I'm just saying I, I can't remember one word to any of the songs and I just watched the movie yesterday. <laughs> okay. I'm just saying, I'm like, to me, it's like the one big thing is like the songs just don't grab me. But I mean, I like watching the girls pretend to play. It's awesome. Kate Hanley from Letters to Cleo. She uh, handles the vocal work for, for Josie. And it, again, I, because I'm so familiar with the music and a few, more than a few of the people out there that are into the movie are, are very familiar with all the songs. Somebody write me an email and tell me the names of the songs. Oh, don't do that, man. <laughs> I'm just saying, send them to me because I can't remember. The movie opens up with, because again, a product of the time, opens up with a with, with a boy band video and it's the band du jour. Now, the thing about du jour, which obviously they're having fun with the name, it's made up of four people, four actors that were actually in Can't Hardly Wait. 
two of them were in the band that the fake band in Can't Hardly Wait. And Donald Faison, Seth Green, Brecken Meyer, and Alex Martin. Alex Martin hasn't done a lot of things. I barely remember Alex from right the, you know, from this movie and Can't Hardly Wait. And if you've seen Can't Hardly Wait, and most people have, he's the foreign exchange student. He's the one that has some of the best lines of the movie. Correct. But Brecken Meyer who we've talked about on the show before we, we, oh, covered, yeah, we covered go. go he's actually well at the time they got married that year deborah kaplan the the, the, the co-writer co-director of the movie they were uh, a couple for like 14 15 years and they had a couple of kids and everything like that but not together anymore but yeah so and the oh man if you haven't listened to the commentary for can't hardly wait she like like is Gaga over him throughout the whole thing. And I don't know if they were dating, dating at the time that they did that commentary. Cause the commentary is like 99, somewhere in there. So it's funny to look back now and know that they were a couple for so many years. And it's all gone South. And it's all gone. I don't know. <laughs> the business is brutal. Dude. Hey, Let's be honest. You, <laughs> do you have this Blu-ray? I didn't I realize, do. I didn't realize it was from our good friends at Mill Creek Entertainment. Mill Creek. Yeah. And they were, they, <laughs> they had transferred almost all of the DVD extras over. And I was, we were, we were kind of bummed when it got announced. We yeah. were hoping to get some new material. It's the 20th anniversary when this Mill Creek King came out. And I was still surprised that Mill Creek put that much extras on there. I know they already existed. Yeah, I was shocked too. Yeah. And the thing is, it's a different encode entirely. So they could just take the the files that they made for the DVD because they they literally had to make new files from from whatever they stole it from, and they have the oh man, dude. I know this is. I got. I'm gonna plug the Blu-ray because the Blu-ray is pretty great. It is. The very good. good. They had the perfect. I wish this happened more often, but the B-roll type of BTS that they have in one of the sections, it's so long. I forgot how long it is. It's like 35, 45 minutes. But it's the fly in the wall type BTS, you know, where it's just B-roll. And then, I mean, people talk once in a while, but lots of handheld personal video recorders going on. It's, it was really, it's it's pretty great if you're a fan of the movie. It's cool to see all them doing the builds and set builds and rehearsals. And it's neat because it's not EPK style. It's just raw BTS B-roll, which is great. Yeah, which is way better than the EPK stuff that's... Uh is kind of the norm. Well, ended up being the norm. And they, when they do things now, they still, they kind of do it set up that way. Yeah. I, I prefer just straight behind the scenes, unscripted. Yeah. It's way more it, interesting. Way it, more interesting. Well, which, one other thing that's fun about the movie is if you're familiar with the cartoon, the cartoon was them. Very speaking of Scooby-Doo, we're very much Scooby-Doo <laughs> situations oh, yeah. where they totally. happen to run into evil corporations and bullshit like that along the way. But so they kept that theme for the movie, which I thought was pretty clever. And the way they, the way they introduce and the way they carry out throughout the movie is, is really well done. But man, it, it is the charm of the girls that makes it work. And they did a great job with the casting because if you're familiar with the cartoon, everybody plays their part perfectly. But it's the small characters, I think, that really help sell the oh, movie. Oh, yeah, man. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, dude, when Missy Pyle shows up as Alexandra and they ask her, why Why are you even here? And she's like, because I was in the comic book. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's awesome. Because, dude, she's great. Like, you know, I mean, uh, the, you know, and if you don't know her by her name, she's in Galaxy Quest and a, a bunch of other stuff. But you, yeah. You've seen her, definitely. Yeah. Uh, but, dude, Alan Cumming, who <laughs> seems like he was in everything yeah. around this time period, yeah. from like GoldenEye up until like the X-Men movies. He's pretty great. I mean, yeah. <laughs> he's just doing his thing. I'm chewing scenery, but he's great. Parker Posey's great. Yeah. 
And Powell Costanza, who plays Alexander Cabot from the comic books, he plays Missy's brother, Alex. And he, you guys know him from other things. He's uh, with Breck and Meyer Road Trip, right? He's yep. in Road Trip. Yeah. Um, and uh, again, I mentioned on the show before, well, I'm a big fan of the movie 40 Days and 40 Nights, and he's uh, Josh's best friend in that. So, yes. Right. It's funny, like Catherine Isabel, you see her briefly from Ginger Snaps. If you, you bet you got to look, it's real quick. You get that a lot because the movie is shot a lot entirely, of <laughs> entirely in a lot Vancouver. Of so there's lots of Canadian faces <laughs> that you recognize. <laughs> yes, man. Of course. Yeah. Gabriel Mann, it's weird because I don't, I didn't remember he was in the movie and I, I don't, re- I don't remember ever seeing him like this young before. Yeah. So it took me like a, mo- I was like, who, he looked familiar, sounded familiar. And I, I had to, you know, it took me a, I had to Google, I had to, I had to hit the IMDb and I was like, oh, right. He was a kid once too. It's funny when I <laughs> saw this in the theater, one of the other things too, that's the central theme to it. And it's, it's the satire is pretty good as far as product placement and corporate involvement in movies and entertainment period. And it's laid on thick to the point where like when we saw in the theater, damn, okay, I know you wanted to help pay for this movie, but what the hell? Right. And then you really, and then it didn't take very long before you realize what they're, what Dude, the message they're trying when, to say. When they're on the du jour plane at the beginning, I remember when I saw it, I was like, <laughs> good Lord, man. Yeah, we thought, and studio head was like, we need more product placement right. to pay for this movie. And then right. they were, yeah. And then, of course, got the old the old school Starbucks logos and stuff like kind of like Dude, we talked about during U.S. Right? Marshall. Yes, but that's the thing is about the movies you you see card you, you see logos and things like that that you recognize right away, and some you're like have been far more in your in your life now, but they oh, don't yeah. look exactly the same. Like again, the Starbucks logo back in two thousand one is quite different than it was even just ten years ago. You get a lot of that. I mean, the funny thing is also. We're still in the dial-up era around there, right. right? Not a lot of people yeah. have cable modems yet or anything. Nope. So you see America Online a lot in there. <laughs> Not a lot of, of cell phones either. And there's MTV still existed. Right. And as if Carson Daly was <laughs> right? somebody. Yeah, dude. I, I was more excited when Aries Spears showed up as the other Carson the other Daly. Carson I forget. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I forgot. I forgot about that whole bit with uh, that fake... TRL show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they made, it's funny too, to be careful where you read this information about her and about, about, about Tara Reed and Carson Daly. Yes, they dated, but they were already dating before they were shooting this movie. Uh, people were talking about all oh, these start dating, you know, while they were shooting this movie. I'm like, well, they were dating while they were shooting, but they didn't start dating, didn't date because of the movie, which is kind of what some websites have inferred, which isn't true because Otherwise, those jokes of I would never date someone like you would don't work. Right. <laughs> so, exactly. Right? Oh, by Tom Butler is comes and comes and goes a couple of times playing the Agent Kelly that <laughs> working for the government. There's not a lot of cameos in there, but it's and it's mostly um, MTV people playing themselves. Like we talked yep. about um, and Serena Altro plays herself in there, too. But the album that we that that you mentioned earlier is actually produced by Babyface, and he's got a cameo in it, yes, but he, he does. plays the chief. <laughs> he's full prosthetic makeup, and he was the essentially the third wheel of Captain and Tennille. <laughs> that was pretty yeah, great. Yeah, it's great. I told him to wear a captain's hat. <laughs> Good stuff. Anybody under 25 who doesn't know who Mr. Movie Phone is, well, you hear his voice a lot in this. You're still going to be like on, you know, looking him up, going, oh, that was Mr. Movie Phone. Yeah, Russ Leatherman, who 
is the voice of Mr. Movie Phone, is in here a lot. He's in here a lot. Oh, yeah. He's just like the voice of the computer. Right. And he's just, it doesn't matter if it's the music or if there's putting it in movies or in subliminal putting stuff in movies. It's, it's pretty clever. We mentioned the casting. What was funny is like, I'm so used to Rosario Dawson playing Valerie Brown, the, the, the bass player. And she's so perfect in the role. So I'm I'm so used to that to, to find out that who else auditioned for it. Now, 2001, you figured like 2000, probably we were auditioning for this. Beyonce in 2000, right? Sure. Aaliyah. Right. And Left Eye Lopez, you know, Left Eye from TLC. Can't imagine any of them. Yeah, and it's crazy. Is like Left Eye, she read more than once. The other two didn't. They, they were kind of like downplaying. Beyonce was too quiet and shy, which is funny to say, but that's Destiny's Child, <laughs> Beyonce. She wasn't really, you know, outgoing as like like she is, as everybody knows her as a solo act. But Aaliyah, had Aaliyah done this, it, and it got released, it would have been like when the last thing she did or next to last thing she did. Cause I think I still Queen think of the Queen of the Damned came out afterwards. Yeah. Cause she was already, she, I think she, she passed away during post, I think. Yeah. The movie wasn't finished yet. Yeah. But I can't see her playing that part cause she can, no. I mean, she works great in, in Queen of the Damned. She's low key, but Val need to be a little more upbeat and Rosario is that, you know, and it works pretty well. But yeah, dude, the movie is, there's so many little things in there that, again, once you, with repeat viewing, you kind of pick up on them. I didn't know us until I we were doing some research after the movie recently. And I didn't, again, I'm a big fan of the movie for 20 years and I didn't know this until <laughs> two days ago. There is, this movie's PG-13 and for good reason. There's lots of innuendo and it's not language, it's just straight innuendo. And there was a PG version of the movie. Because the folks at Archie Comics wanted them to make a more family family friendly version of it, and it only came out on home video. It came out with, uh, but it came on full screen too. So they even did that whole thing. They even took it out of letterbox and just made it full screen. Right, so nobody would watch it. Right, <laughs> except for my parents. I I don't know how. Okay, the, the, that du jour video at the beginning is it's called Backdoor Lover, man. They're going for butt sex right off the bat. I'm like, how do you? So how much shorter is the movie than if you take out all the innuendo that's in the movie? It's probably a good, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of it. I don't know what they, you know. <laughs> well, you can't, there's nothing about that song that you can leave in there if you're trying to, if you could go for a PG movie, unless they're thinking it's you know, less uh, obvious than it is, but I don't, I think I've always liked, oh, thought it was no. pretty straightforward, but <laughs> whatever. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, I don't know. But that was like, that was the goof though. The boy bands always had like songs that were just, on the border of just saying what they're going to say. And this one just said it a little more. I can, I can proudly say, I don't know the difference between NSYNC, Backstreet Boys, any of them. I don't know any songs by any of them. I could, if you played them, I wouldn't know who it was. And I know Justin Timberlake was in one of those bands. Yeah. NSYNC. So I just, there, keep, you there you go. Color me bad. It's better than all of them. Stop that. Isn't, oh no. <laughs> ABC, another bad creation. Well, so we talked about, like, you know, Kay Hanley, who, you know, fans of Letters to Cleo, like I am. And I don't know, I never got your opinion about, about Letters. Yeah, um, yeah I, I like them. My friend uh, Charity is good friends with her. Um, they just played here, man, like in November when I was gone. And she, this is a, you know, right around 99 is when Kay and, well, it was mostly Kay's involvement with movies, but then the band would be involved too. Right. But like in, in 99, she did 10 Things I Hate About You. Right. Rooftop ending. Right. The rooftop ending with them doing I Want You to Want Me. But also early in the movie, 
they cover uh, uh, Niccolo's Cruel to Be Kind. Yep. Don't they? Doesn't don't they also cover the dangerous type in the craft? Yeah, they do. That was that's actually yeah. the first movie that they they had any kind right. of soundtrack involvement in. So there's so it mean it, it was a natural progression for her to be involved with something like this, but to be full on voiceover for several songs in a movie, which was definitely a change. Again, ironically, her here she here, here's this person, the singer doing a voiceover, ironically, for a live action movie about a cartoon from a originating from a cartoon, which I thought was kind of fun. Boom! But yeah, she did a lot of that stuff. And and if you watch the BTS too, you'll see her a lot. She and I didn't know this either until I watched the BTS, but maybe I did, I just got reminded about it. But the girls in the movie do sing backup on a bunch of tracks. Um, they their voices are really there. They're just not lead singer types. You know, so they, they back up uh, a little bit of Kay's vo- vocals on some of the tracks. And I'm going to say them because I know you don't know them. <laughs> nope, I do not. Why is that? I, they just didn't stick in my head, man. They're just, they're just like songs. I feel like because I, I, I don't know. They're just songs that sound like every other thing that I probably was listening to then. And I just, <laughs> it's, they're, not, they're not distinguishable, maybe. I don't know. Okay. You tell me. It's not my problem. It's just that's the way it is. Ta-da, I get you. Well, they, you know, swing. you know, I love girl bands, but like, I don't know, man, those songs just, I, I remember, I remember, I remember back to our lover and that's about it. Well, well, you know, three small words gets played a lot. Now. It's the music. It's the song they open with and you hear it a couple more times when they're doing montages. It's the, it was the song that was supposed Same to be with the bowling alley, right? That's yeah. the song. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Pretend to be nice. Um, that Adam Schlesinger wrote, we, I talked recently about about Adam and you know his involvement with the TV show Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. The the big song though, the single that that a lot of people will not single, but the standout song is the ballad and there you don't see me, which that and that that's one that a lot of people were involved in. Like Jane Weedland was involved in that, Adam Duritz, Deborah and Harry were both involved in it. That one that's the standout song. That's but funny enough, that's the song that, that they use for the subliminal stuff. <laughs> To get Josie, is that where she's wandering the streets? Yeah, yeah. After she's missed her, they've missed the gig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I mean, I can pl- I can tell you if you name the songs and tell me what they're like. <laughs> I can tell you where they're at in the movie, but I can't remember the names of any of them. Um, the, what's funny is that all the lyrics, both Deb and Harry wrote. They were involved in almost every song, with with um, maybe one or two exceptions. Um, there's a song called "Spin Around." That that Dave Gibbs wrote with Adam Duritz. Duritz was, I mean, I'm not surprised he was involved with a lot of this stuff too. But like I mentioned, uh, other people were involved. We are. I already mentioned um, Schlesinger from Fountains of Wayne, Jason Faulkner from Jellyfish. Um, mm, and, and right. So, so that's kind of fun. And somebody that you talked about. And this is probably where the connection is, right? Yep. You know, Anna from That Dog is, she's involved with some songs on in the movie as well. I Yes, I was going to say, they there's, they sound like, I almost said it a few minutes ago, they kind of sound like That Dog. I'm shocked I don't like them. <laughs> I mean, it's not that I don't like them. I'm just like, maybe I just thought they were That Dog songs. But yeah, the thing about this movie is it like looks, I mean, I didn't look at the what the budget was, but it looks like they, they dumped some serious dough into this thing. Some big set pieces. Yeah, the, the, the it was funny if you look at the the budget range depending on where you look. I've never seen one this wide before. The Wiki, Wikipedia shows us between twenty two and thirty nine. That's what it says. Right, <laughs> like, that's a that's a gap. I it? go, how do you go from being this thing to fifty percent more? I mean, it seems like such a big jump. I don't know why. Maybe it's just trying to hide the fact that it only made fifteen million dollars. But this movie had found obviously like a lot of movies around that time because they were. 
we've mentioned the show before. That's at a time where they were just shoving movies out there because they knew they had a DVD window to make up from for for whatever. They're worried less. They'll take the you know they'll, they'll take the quote unquote financial hits from all the theatrical advertising, right? All the P and A, and they'll make up for it and get you know make up that red like with creative finance and with with uh, creative accounting like they do. And they knew they were going to make all their money back on the other side from DVD from the DVD window that was full swing in 2001 and this movie just getting shoved out there i don't know man i i knew it i was expecting it. i was looking forward to it because i'm being a big fan of harry and deborah's because of the writing as well as can't hardly wait i, I feel like i i barely remember the advertising for the movie at all and i don't think that helped it at all i <laughs> i just remember well, i don't remember any tv spots particularly i just remember the posters plastered everywhere yeah. uh you know around I want to say, cause I, you know, I think I was probably when this came out, I think I was working at Warner brothers and they were just, po I mean, you know, it's right there near universal and that whole area was just, I just remember like a media blitz, but it was all uh, print media <laughs> for the most part. That was the irony of course of all having all that sponsorship. I guess, I guess I don't know if they walked a fine line where they're saying, Hey, we can't put out this movie. that's you know, that we hammer product placement in and hand and hammer in this the dirtiness of all the corporate involvement and then start using corporations to help promote the movie and it's just biting the hand that feeds you kind of thing i don't know it's it definitely has that vibe where maybe they kind of were very particular about how they marketed the movie even though it, it just seems too obvious that with mtv's involvement that this would have had more i don't know had been a bigger push well, I mean, we again, it's spoofing a time where it felt like there was a there was a new boy band every day, which is why Du Jour is such a funny name. I mean, the main boy band in this that they just go ahead. It and means friendship, <laughs> dude. He's so. It means uh, whatever. Well, he's got the funny. Well, not the funniest, but he's got the funnier lines in this one. That just like he has the funny line, the funniest lines in Can't Hardly Wait. Yeah, I, I think Alex has got some funny stuff, but the whole undercarriage of this and the, the big plot is Parker Posey's character is trying to, well, the, the base of all of it, she just was somebody that teased in high school. And she was just like every other, you know, other, other uh, maniacal villain that wants to take over the world. It's because they were mistreated in high school, right? Of course. And so her big plot is to have a subliminal advertising in the music, and which is what DuJour discovers very early in the movie. <laughs> right. Well, you would have thought that Scott Evil might have caught on just a little earlier than yeah. everybody else. And at that point, he'd already popped Being, in a couple of movies, right? The, the third one wouldn't be out for like another year. <laughs> Being the son of Dr. Evil. <laughs> yeah. There's some great outtakes, by the way, if you stay toward in the credits at the end. The, the last slated image that you see in the closing credits, too, is Deborah Kaplan. Um, they always are pretty good about putting themselves in the movies. But Harry, Harry's in it a little bit more prominently. Harry is the pilot of the private plane in the beginning. Right. And he's the private plane when Josie and everybody's on there. Well, <laughs> in one of the best moments of that. Uh, oh, when he, bail, when he bails <laughs> out yeah. the... Uh, a Chevy to the levee, right? Yes. Yeah. Chevy to the levee. Over. <laughs> Just the casualness of both of them putting on their parachutes right. when this happened. And then both of them standing in the field below, like, you know, he's rolling well, up his chute and, and uh, Cummings is on the phone. Right. Cummings like, casually walks over to the main highway and we see the Riverdale sign behind him. What we see as soon as the pilot, he's running the other direction <laughs> towards, the, right. towards the woods. 
just to kind of just you know, make him spell, make himself uh, disappear real quick. But uh, that's what's funny because you don't think he comes back later, but he does. He's the pilot later on. Dude, the uh, the horrible CGI of the crashing plane is pop, probably. I mean, it's. I think it's intentionally it, funny. I, like, it is. It is. Yeah, it, it's really. It made me laugh out loud. It was like it was too good. <laughs> like there's like fire coming off and shit. Suddenly the plane's on fire now. <laughs> like just because they bailed out, I was like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Well, another thing about it too is I think it's a different plane. It is. It's not the same one. No, no, again, again more, I think yeah, that's part no, of the joke, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, it's yeah. just like supposed to be like this. They just put some stock footage. You know what's funny about this movie I didn't realize is that it's produced by Mark Platt, who gave me my first job as a production designer. Oh, yeah. You you see Mark in it quite a bit he, in yep. the behind the scenes. And he does, if you watch any of the actually uh, pre-built, re- legit behind the scenes, not just the, the B-roll stuff. Yeah, he talks a little quite a bit about what the plans were, and you know, it's it's nice. It's it, again the BTS on this really kick ass. But they just had uh, they, they just had that movie with his son starring in it. It was uh, oh yeah yeah yeah. It was a uh, dear Evan Hansen. Dear Evan Hansen, yeah. correct? Yeah, yeah. Ben, ben, just so just you know, Ben Platt. Yep. It's not just the last name; they are related. <laughs> they are father and son. <laughs> they are related. I was just being kind of silly about Mark Platt. Mark Platt's got his, his thumb in every pie, honestly. And he's in lots of TV, but man, if you saw the slate of movies, he's got his name attached to as EP or co-producer coming up in oh, the yeah, next man. five, six sure. years. It's ridiculous. He's pretty entrenched too with all the folks over at Disney. Yep. And Mark provides some pretty fun stuff on the BTS and he knows how to bang out a movie like this. And I don't mean it in a bad way. He's just, the dude's so well-versed in what it takes to put a movie that's going to be propped up like this movie was. It's funny, I, I think because it's been so much time since the movie came out, I find that it's more of a, I'm so used to watching it at home because I only saw it once in the theater, obviously, because it wasn't around long enough for me to see it again if I wanted to. No, totally. It, yeah, I mean, I think I saw it, uh, I feel like I saw it, like I want to say I saw it opening weekend because I don't think there w- it was around much after that. No, and it's one of the, and like Empire Records, it, it relies a lot on the soundtrack and again, you're not familiar. You, Same as can't hardly wait. It's, you know, it was like we talked when we did Empire Records. It was it was a thing of the time at that point. Like yeah. soundtracks were as big, if not bigger, than the movies that they were from. And we talked about you mentioned like talking about the iPod and how much people say that the iPod, you know, changed how music was. Well, the change music industry. Period. Because if it wasn't for the, you could sit and talk about the iPod. But yeah, but man, at that point, how much had you know when this movie came out in two thousand one. How much damage had Napster already done? Right. They already had already changed stuff. We're already in a lawsuit at this point, right? Oh, yeah. Which I think is funny how they don't even touch on it. They could have, but they didn't. Because all that was going, no, that was going down in 2001, I think about it. So maybe just they didn't have time because this movie came out in April. Right, because it was filmed in 2000. But so much, again, making fun of the more, you know, ironic the more you watch and how well... It's future, it should the future of, in a satirization of the music business, how much, how easy you could change and how, how, if you put your fingers in the pot too much, you're going to fuck things up. And they're so busy, you know, raking in all their money all the years for, in, in, as far as the music industry goes, somebody comes along, changes it and they don't realize it's changing and then it's changing and then it's too late. And you, instead of being on board, you're <laughs> fucking behind the, the eight ball and you're dealing with bullshit like what happened because of Napster and file sharing. Yeah. It's funny. Like there's, you know, because the, the, the thing, they, they, there's at least two scenes in here where she's listening to a CD player, right? <laughs> which is pretty hilarious. Yeah. I can only imagine kids going, what is that? 
What is, what is that thing? She, I don't know. <laughs> Why do her headphones have strings on them? The one thing immediately following my viewing of this movie, I, I for some reason I, I wanted to go to Target. <laughs> you didn't want and a Big a Mac? Big, and, and have a Big Mac. Yeah, a Big Mac. And a cup of coffee from Starbucks. <laughs> and then, uh, was it, was it uh, I need to go get my pedicure. Revlon only. Yeah. Yeah, there's some inspired shit in it. I mean, the, the movie's fun. It's funny because I don't know that I would have, uh, until you suggested it, it's just like, I never, ever think about watching it because it's not streaming anywhere, first of all. No. <laughs> Weirdly enough, I think this would be all over Peacock because it's universal property and Peacock, Peacock has got some bad things on it. <laughs> if you go through Peacock, this should be on there. If some of the stuff that's on there. I, I have a feeling more people are going to follow suit to what Paramount Plus is doing right now. And if you look back at what, what they've done when they picked up Miramax, I mean, they were so forward thinking about that, the way they handled it. Oh, they, yeah. And they handled themselves like they would have handled themselves in 2007 by buying properties like they did. I'm hoping that more companies follow suit than do what Paramount does. Because as soon as most of the stuff, as soon as Paramount stuff clears whatever current licensing deal they have with whatever streaming service, they're putting on Paramount Plus. That just happened with Scream 2022, just came out on Paramount Plus. And then when that did, then the other four came on too. Right. Even though they had the rights to it, because they, that's why they timed it the way they did. They, they were smart enough to recognize how silly it is to have one movie <laughs> of the five or even one or two movies. Because like up until that happened, Netflix had two of the three or something like that. The, the other four, the four movies before 2022 Scream were like on different, three different platforms. And they, as soon as it came freed up, they put it where it's supposed to be. I expect Peacock to do the thing. I also expect Peacock to rebrand. You know, it's... Yeah, I mean, it'll, it'll, something, I mean, it's it's just weird. Like, it's just weird to me that like, this movie's not available, you know, readily available or, you know, it's not any rotations. I, f I feel like, you know, when I, I was actually shocked that it had been 20 years. And, I, and that may be it because, you know, maybe they're trying to, you know, get some of those residual dollars last year when the, with the 2021 release of this, you know, the 20th anniversary of the Mill Creek Blu-ray that you just mentioned. Just my guess. Again, the, the more the irony of the movie is you, you have all these people on stage pretending to play music they're not really playing. Again, pointing more to like to, to the, you know, the, the early 70s where <laughs> almost every like uh, every teenage star that came out at the time sang over layers and layers and layers and layers. Are you, layers. Are you, are you dissing Sean Cassidy, man? No, I was mostly going after Leaf Garrett, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Leif Garrett. Yeah. I only remember him as an actor. <laughs> in skateboard? Uh, Outsiders. <laughs> he got killed by Johnny Cage. And also, uh, what's his, I remember he was, Leif Garrett was in an episode of Chips. Yeah, totally. Playing yeah. himself. Playing himself. Stoner, like, kid who, you know, <laughs> gets into an accident or something, uh, I, I think, I feel. So silly. But yeah, I mean, it's funny because I was going to, my one of my questions, but we've already kind of talked about it and I kind of confirmed what it was, was I wondered if any of these girls actually play now or play or, you know, or did they even, did they try to take lessons to play? Yeah, they thinking, went, they, you know, yeah, yeah, they went they to went rock to camp. boot camp, right? Yeah, they went to rock camp in it. And when you watch them to fly in the wall BTS, three small words when they're doing the music video, they're, they're actually connected. They're, 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 they're wired up. And I mean, at least Rachel was playing 
the right chord. <laughs> yeah, totally. No, no, because yeah. I was watching it, and I but I know that it's not her voice, obviously. Oh, right. Because Kay's was, voice is very distinct. Yeah, yeah. it's obvious. You know, yeah. it's hard to fake it when you're if you don't really you know know where you're putting your hands. I've seen some really bad. <laughs> yeah, this is a view. Sometimes in movies, people look like they're playing a G. They're trying to play a G chord, and maybe they're not. Yeah. <laughs> which seems to be the easiest shape to make. I want to give a little bit of a shout out to, to, to Pete Tashner who cut the movie. One of the things I noticed early on when I saw them, saw on one of my first repeats, repeat viewings of the movie, that cutting around of the players still felt that kinetic movie video vibe from 2001, but it worked well to where he could cut around the fact that they didn't play. Right. I think they all knew how to play that song. They had a new play one song. So it was, it was an easy sell, which is why you hear that song a lot. They, I think they focused on learning that song and then, and they just kind of worked around that, but they cut around Tara Reed's lack of drumming. Oof. What do you mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's the, that's the one thing that, you know, they did a good job of because they stayed on her too long. You would know that she couldn't play yeah, it totally. All. I mean, I, I totally buy that Rosario is playing the bass. I could buy that. And, yeah. You know, and Rachel's the guitar at least is, size appropriate for someone her size. Right. And, <laughs> yeah, and, that's, she, and that's what's key to, to do stuff like that is like making sure people, and I think it's just body and body language too. You can, people, they look like people comfortable playing the instruments that they're playing. They're supposed yep. to be playing, which works because that's as much of a selling point. Cause if you cast somebody with their shoulders are still up and they don't know what the hell they're doing, well, that's what you get. Yeah, there's um, there's some funky drumming going on there. And uh, I don't mean funky drumming like, yeah. you know, like... Here's a funky drummer. <laughs> it ain't that kind of funky drumming. Joey had come in while I was watching it and he looks, <laughs> he says, why does that girl playing drums look familiar? I'm like, oh, cause she's in Sharknado movies. <laughs> he just goes, oh, oh, she's just as bad in that. And I go, well, no, but she's playing a ditzy character in this. So she's just, I'll just say that she's doing a good job. Yeah. Uh, it's funny, man, because this is like this is like right in the middle of her like heyday. Yeah, like in the middle of all those hit movies. Yeah, and, and I'm trying to remember what Ros when Rosario. Are we cover, when are we covering Van Wilder next? <laughs> like you know, Rosario for this point. I mean, Ollie, what has she done at this point? I mean, obviously, she's done kids. kids. Yep. I think she had not a big part, but she's in He Got Game. Yep. And light it up, and I think one other movie, but. After this is when she kind of started taking off a little bit. And then she got Men in Black 2 next year. And Well, she was in Rent. Yeah, I'm, I'm just like, I mean, at the beginning of, this is kind of the beginning of her getting things rolling. Yeah, well, this would be definitely, would be maybe like the first studio movie. Was she in the first Sin City as well? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Yeah, so yeah you she get did both that. of them. Yeah, right. so, so she started, I mean, 2002, she did a ton of stuff. So yeah. like, she was kind of an it girl and, and like a, a few of the kids from the, from the movie Kids, but it took them a while to get going. The rundown, dude, is like the movie, like where she like, yeah, because yeah, she had to recover from Pluto Nash. Right. <laughs> and she did so many movies that year too, 2002. Yeah, man. Wow. Yeah. 25th hour. She was working. <laughs> yeah. God forbid somebody works. She was not down to you. Yeah. Did I just watch that the other day? It's funny because uh, Rachel Lee Cook and I want to say Parker Posey had worked together before, right? In House of Yes. Is that correct? That sounds right. Basically playing the younger, I, I don't remember. I think so. I might be confusing this. I might, you, know, you know me, I'm known to fuck things up. <laughs> <laughs> don't confuse things. Friday Night Baseball, Apple, Amazon, same thing. She had done some smaller things like she was in Babysitter's Club, Rachel Lee oh. Cook. Oh, yeah. 
You know, it's another movie that's similar in like, I don't, I don't know why it's not similar to this, but I put it, I, I will put it in that genre of movie. Maybe it's because it's from that time period is <laughs> the sweetest thing with Cameron Diaz. Yeah, I love sweetest thing. I've seen, I feel like I've seen that movie like 47 times. Yeah. Where I would probably, if this streamed, I would probably would have seen this a bit more than I have. Cause honestly, like I told you, I hadn't seen it since it came out. I don't know why I just hadn't. It's made its rounds too. I, I just, I still think that like it, it would be on prime for a few months and it'd be on Netflix for a few months. I, I think this is just one of those things where they're trying to maybe, maybe Mill Creek had a, you know, a window of time to sell yeah. stuff and we're still maybe sure. doing that right now. We're, yeah, right. They give them like a, a year, at least a year window after they put out the, you know, yeah. all that coin into the Blu-ray. Which which was just in October, I think. So <laughs> it's only six months or right. five months at this point. So we'll see what happens. I think that uh, Josie and the Pussycats is, uh, there's always, there's been talk about it for like at least five years about, uh, you know, they keep saying it's going to be a series like on Netflix, like not unlike Sabrina and Riverdale. I could see that. Um, it keeps getting talked about, but it, you know, I don't know. Where is that thing? Josie and the Pussycats, they're discussed like in the first episode of Riverdale going forward. So they're, it's, it's always there. But um, yeah, you wanted to, it's like, it, it would totally fit into the, the darker satire they would have. Because if you made this movie now in 2021 or 2022, you made this movie in these days and you kind of were going for the same vibe of goofing on stuff. It would still work, but I just think it'd be the satire would be a little, a little bit darker. I think that this movie wouldn't be as good if it was made now. Like, I don't know that, uh, you know what I mean? As far as like the... But it would, I mean, you think about how different it would be though. You, right, mean, but I mean like the spirit of like, what you know what I mean? Like of that, like PG version, <laughs> like, the, the, I don't know. There's just stuff now that, you know, would, I don't know, would not fly maybe. To look back at, again, because I'm so fond of the movie, I can't look at this movie and see it any other way or any derivative of it. And I didn't like, because the reason why the Sabrina Netflix show worked for me is because I never watched, I mean, I watched the cartoon just like I watched this cartoon when I was younger and it was never anything that I had any kind of emotional attachment to, including the, the TV series, the, the sitcom. I, I mean, I had no ties to it. So to me, when the Sabrina Netflix show hit, I was totally like engaged in it. So I, I didn't have any connection with, oh my gosh, this is such a dark version of Amanda. I don't see it that way. I just kind of like, oh, this is fun. I like what they did. They kind of took the Rivervale, Riverdale vibe and just went with it, which of course, I, I love the, that weird circle, right? Where... Heather's took a little bit of darkened up Riverdale themselves and then, yeah, yeah. and then the TV show Riverdale then turn and took from them. Oh yeah. But that was really funny. But yeah, I don't, I, I can't see this show. I mean, this movie any other way, even so if they did, if they do something in the vein. No man. Of those other shows. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't get it. But like you said, there's a spirit of going, cause you can't do this movie now because wait, you're going to put, Anybody on stage with instruments, that's already a weird thing. Because, I mean, music videos just don't exist anymore. They're not like right. it was in 2021 when, that, that again, the thing that they're goofing on <laughs> doesn't exist anymore. Right. So. Yeah. yeah. It's weird. Like, it, well, it would be a whole different type of movie. They would, you know, it would probably involve, uh, they, they'd probably be like mystery solving band. Like in the um, comic book cartoon. Well, they solve, they solve mystery. Uh, yeah, kind of. They figured it, it out. A very, there's a very Scooby-Doo ending at the end of this. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, that doesn't make it bad. With the double Scooby-Doo ending, because you get two reveals. Usually you only That's get correct. one villain unmasked. You get two unmasking, unmasking, <laughs> which are pretty fucking great. 
Because you know another movie, I think it's from around the same time period um, that this kind of reminds me of in certain ways, like is Undercover Brother, which is also a Universal <laughs> movie. If there were two studios that I think really embraced the whole DVD, <laughs> let's show some feature films in the movie theater and then push them on DVD right away, Warner Brothers and Universal. Yeah, for sure. I don't think anybody, if you, I do go and Best Buy back in 2001, 2002, well, I just say 2000 through 2010 the predominant spines that you're going to see were Warner Brothers and Universal logos. They love putting out movies on home video. Oh yeah, man. I mean, uh, like their entire libraries, there was point when uh, the studio store, at, well, at all the lots were just jam packed with titles that you would never find anywhere else. You right. would only find them if you're on the lot that, that, that made the movie. Fox was the same way. Yeah. I feel like Universal just pushed out 50 to 100 movies a year that some of them were in theaters for a week and then literally they had a DVD release like four weeks later or, you know, six weeks later. They're like, and some things just literally went straight. I mean, they were releasing shit straight to home video yeah. then. And that's when you're starting to see those sequels straight to video kind of right. thing. But that was always their intention. They weren't, they were never. Like Daddy Daycare 2, 3, <laughs> 4, 10. Whatever. I was always shocked that this movie didn't have a sequel. I but I figured what they would do is it would be less of a sequel and more of a reboot, and they would just recast three girls. And but thankfully they haven't done that because it wouldn't. I think it wouldn't have like the charm that this movie has. And they got really close to. I mean, they kind of they did that really close to doing that more than once in the movie <laughs> where they they are they had already separated Josie from Melody and Valerie. I mean, there was one point where I guess, like we said earlier, they were all ready just to kill all three of them again, move on to the next band. Because <laughs> yeah. they were, yeah, yeah. So the, so the, the whole interchangeability satire they're going for that the music industry f feels is there was prevalent and uh, it, it would kind of go against that. They tried to do a reboot or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, does anybody else feel weird that this hell happened in a week? Exactly. No, nobody. Uh, I will say this, 2000, 2001 was the time of backless shirts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thankfully. Oh, to grow up in the time of backless shirts. Yeah. And by the way, I want to point out something too. There's something that Rachel Lee Cook does in this movie that for the cute girl next door vibe that she had, starting with the Babysitter's Club, right? Yes, Babysitter's Club. Mm -hmm. She's just, again, she's this cute girl next door, bubbly, sweet. But when she has that moment when she fully brainwashed and she turns on everybody, oh man, she could play she can play a caustic, man. She's pretty she's pretty I don't I don't recall seeing anything that she's been in where she's was nasty like she is in that moment where she just tells off Val and Melody. I'm like, whoa. It was fun seeing that little tweak on her because she's usually such a sweetheart in movies, but yeah, I was going to go back and watch uh, Get Carter with Celeste Sloan. I think she plays his daughter. Oh, see. I don't remember the movie well enough, but I was like, oh, I think she was in it. Well, I've completely forgotten about the movie and I haven't seen it. So thank you for the reminder now. It's yeah, man. Dawson's <laughs> Creek. I'm sure she was. I don't, I've never seen an episode of Dawson's Creek, so I can't. But I do remember her from the Sixpence on the Richer video. Oh, yeah, because that's their, that's the, yeah. the main song. She's all that, right? She's all that. Yeah. I remember there was a point where she was in just a bunch of movies, like, and she's like, but I think she, I feel like, did she just kind of go, she does a lot of voiceover, right? Cause she did a lot of robot chicken with Seth and yeah. Brecken, like that whole like group of people, like all yeah. of Mary Spears, even Carson Daly. Yeah. She's definitely in that little circle. Like you mentioned with that Seth and, and Brecken have. 
we talking about the whole Target thing, right? Her big, like when she was up and coming and she did a lot of, a lot of uh, print advertising and stuff, Rachel Lee Cook, when, when she was 10, she was like for like several years, she was in every single weekly Target ad, <laughs> which I think is right. funny because it's probably the most prominent sponsorship you see in the movie is the Target stuff. Because right off the bat, right, once you're inside the DuJour plane, is it an all Target? Logos yeah. on the inside. Oh yeah, of it. yeah, that's what I see. Yeah, they, like, yeah. and they're in in where the luggage would go. There's bounce boxes of bounce. They're beautifully backlit. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get that little the obviousness of everything being Target and you know being the and the Dujour plane being since they were the target next of ones to go. There's some super clever things in the design of the movie. I love the van, dude. Like I wish they would we would have seen more of the van. The van's and, great, and, and their apartment. And it, again, it's, it's leaning back on the the cartoon and what in the comic books, of course. But that's what's about, that's what makes the movie fun and the repeat viewings or those kinds of things too. Yeah. So there you go. It's like Josie and the Pussycats. It, it took me it was a while to get this because I wanted to, and I kept waiting for that Blu-ray to come out, hoping there's going to be extras on there that we hadn't seen before. Unfortunately, it, uh, there isn't anything new, but it's got all the the best stuff from ported over from the original DVD. Yeah, and they didn't they didn't leave any of it off or doctor any of it, as far as I can tell. Oh, you mean you throw like new graphics over it and bullshit like yeah, that? Yeah, exactly. I hate, I hate that repurposing. Right. It just Ugh, worst. Yeah, and you know what? They did like we mentioned earlier. They did as more than I thought they would have. I mean, they still re-encode the whole thing and put on the Blu-ray. So that again, fans of the movie, check it out. If you don't have the Blu-ray yet, it's there, and it's like it's fifteen bucks. It's like fifteen bucks. And the blurry transfer looks good. And that's something else too. Is like it, it also sounds really good. It's The sound is fantastic. Again, the production value on this is really high across the board. I mean, like you're talking about it, to hear that it made, that it, there was budget between 22 and 39 million, such a weird range. But the 22 million, considering there's no real names in it, it's all on the screen. That's for sure. The sound wise, yeah, sound wise, it's really good. So. Uh, there's definitely money and lots of talent put into the movie and it clearly is something that found its life on home video. And again, if you don't have the DVD anymore, you can get an upgraded picture with the Blu-ray and all those DVD extras that you're missing and get to revisit. Yeah, man. Look, there you go. See, I did like it. <laughs> Boy, if you would have known what he said before you had a mic, I'm kidding. Uh, you probably do. Come on, you, to the show. you know what I said before I got on the mic. What? What? Well, you have, like you have a history of this thing uh, not being your no. flavor. I look. I didn't say it was my flavor. I just said that <laughs> it was. Um, yeah, it just it, like it, again. I liked everything about it except for the songs. Just didn't stick in my head like like catchy or poppy. Like I couldn't. I was like, what the fuck were the songs? And I guess it's because they sounded so familiar that. I was probably just thinking they were something else. Well, I mean, like we mentioned before, of all the people that were involved in writing the songs, yeah. right? It became like an, an all-star of who was popular in the late 90s, early 2000s. Right. And and that's why it, it sounds familiar. It doesn't sound unique to you. I get that. And at the time, dude, weren't you kind of knee-deep in the business and, and the music oh, side? Oh, dude, I was totally, yeah. So, like, so, yes. so you were getting floods of sound-alikes over the years and listening to yeah. demos and, and seeing bands dude. that just all sound the same. So I get why you would feel that. Well, it's just, you know, like Madonna. I mean, all the bands, I mean, I like all those bands too. So it's like when I'm hearing that, it was just like, oh, it just sounds like, you know, that dog or the Donna's or Letters to Cleo. Yeah. 
all bands I like. <laughs> so, I mean, it's weird, right? That I wouldn't be like, oh, those songs are great. <laughs> but I, I think it's, it's just all because bands. I was like, <laughs> because it's, yes, it's all the bands I like. Right. Yeah, the movie's fun. Like I said, it looks great. The picture on this Blu-ray is way more than I expected when I saw, you know, because Mill Creek, love them, but sometimes sometimes you're just getting a straight transfer <laughs> right from some bad source yeah it's a blu-ray and the main menu is just play the movie and crawl uh, and it sucks you have to go to the main page to the subtitles which kind of blows but when you go to the bonus it takes you to the other pages which is uh, you don't get the pop-up the top you know the pop-up you have to go back to the top menu which is fine no big deal but the good thing is once you go back to the, once you go to the bonus area, you can kind of float around. The subtitle thing was the only thing that kind of bummed me out. I'm like, oh, why, why would you, it's, that's like a DVD thing. That's not even a Blu-ray thing. Blu-ray thing is always be able to do the, the closed caption on the fly, which tells me just something, some other weird way and how they encode the whole thing. But I'm just being all nerdy now. So <laughs> anyway, check out the Blu-ray. If you're a fan of the movie, if you haven't seen it yet. I would tell you to rent it, but that was our, our conundrum. Yeah. <laughs> it was not rentable. No. Um, it might be now, but if you look at Just Watch, it says it's rentable for like twelve ninety nine or something like that. But when you go to see it, it's not yeah, there. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. And if you're going to do that, man, just get the Blu-ray. Right. If you're going to, like, if you, yeah. If, if you, you can buy it, pay you, don't, $13. Don't, don't buy the digital for twelve ninety nine. Buy the Blu-ray for fourteen ninety nine because you the extras are so worth it. Because if you're a fan of the movie, then it's just, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, totally. And if you want to watch, you should totally pair this movie up with Can't Hardly Wait. Just watch them both. Yeah. Back to back. Double and, feature. And don't sleep on the commentary on this because the commentary on this is fucking gold. And it, it, it's Harry, Deborah, and Mark Platt. Mark Platt. Yeah. It's not as funny as the one that you get with Can't Hardly Wait because the Can't Hardly Wait one is it's Harry, Deborah, and Seth Green. And that's really funny because Seth is, I mean, I think it goes without saying this, this audience knows how funny he is and how solid he is with improv. And he's got some great, he kills. And the way you watch the, the gag reel, he kills everybody on set more than once. And it's, it's pretty great. And Alan Cumming, by the way, you never see Alan Cumming break. Nope. But one of those moments, Seth Green is getting him to break, which is pretty fucking funny. Cause Alan Cumming, man, when he did Spy Kids, wasn't this record around the same time? Yeah, I think so. Like uh, maybe Spike, it was right before this, the first one. Right, he was just saying fucking and just having a good time. I think that's pretty cool that he that he would do that. There you go. So you want to follow the show on the socials? You can follow us at Karate Pod on Twitter, Insta, and Letterboxd. If you want to follow Corey on Letterboxd, it's Corey underscore Culp, and on Instagram is Culprit ninety seven. And if you want to follow some other socials, another linkage. You can look at the bottom of our episode show notes under Karate in the Garage linkage and you'll find everything there. If you'd like to follow me on Instagram, I'm at Rock and Roll at 33. If you'd like to follow me on Letterboxd, I'm at Tom Cody on Letterboxd. If you'd like to follow me at Blue Sky, it's the real John Ladd at Blue Sky. <laughs>